All right, welcome to Teaching Others Also. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel in your Bible. 1 Samuel. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. We're going to spend some time in this book of 1 Samuel, and we'll just do it as the Lord leads. And there are so many things that go through our minds sometimes, my mind, in regards to the ministry of the Word of God. And, uh, you know, when you go looking for stuff, there's no end to how much has been produced and published, you would say, broadcast, etc., there's almost no end to it when it comes to the Word of God. Thankfully, that's so, for God's people are called to do that. And if you're called to do it, sometimes you go through a period where you're wondering, um, not about your calling, ever, truthfully, but just about the effectiveness. And I would say to you, in case you happen to be listening to the sound of my voice, that Wherever you're at, and I've said this for, I guess, almost 40 years now, I, I've said this forever, that take yourself out of technology for a minute, put yourself into the days of what we're going to look at here in 1 Samuel, and in the days of the New Testament. <clears throat> you know, When we think of 1 Samuel, you're thinking of about, about uh, 1100 B.C. area. 1,000 B.C. is Solomon building the temple, okay? So you're in that, that range group from around 12 to 1150, etc. And the reason that's important is, so this is about 1,000 years of Christ, okay, before Christ. And then it's been 2,000 years since the Lord walked the earth and since the church age started. I don't know if you make little notes. I've got all kind of notes. I'll be teaching out of my note Bible that have filled up through the years. And I find myself benefiting from little charts I've written by hand, etc. And I hope even if you're just using a little notebook or something, or even at least in your mind, you'll begin to make use of that. A picture is worth a thousand words. And so I would say that it's a blessing when we begin to put things in context and realize that the vast majority of communicating and ministering the word has been done from the mouth of the preacher and teacher to the ears of the people, many times from the mouth to someone listening and put it into pen like Oswald Chambers works are the result of his wife being a stenographer. And he died fairly early in life and she took those works and through the years put in the labor to produce them that others might have them. But at the time, they were delivered on a very limited personal basis. If we're not careful, we forget that in this day of mass communication. Now, having said that, let us take advantage of things, but let us never, ever forget that the calling to teach and preach, folks, whether it be as a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, you know, the, uh, whatever, or whether it be in your Sunday school class or uh, Bible studies and stuff, that 
that that is God's ordained means that through the years he has helped and fed people. Now the world has become wiser than the believer, as Jesus said, about some things. And one of them is this thing of maintenance of heart and mind and soul. And the child of God, if he's not careful today, he or she can fall into the trap of thinking that you can just self-feed all the time. If it's of necessity, you can. But you can no more successfully do that than you can self-medicate safely. And so the great thing is, is that as we're going through this, it may be a blessing to somebody, I hope. But I won't never know, probably. You don't get even 1% of the amount of listens people get, do you get feedback. That's okay. And the idea I'm saying is that don't forget if you minister the word or if you attend and hear the word, don't forget that what it's mainly intended for, for 3,000 years, and honestly, if you go all the way back, 6,000 years before us right now, 2,000 years of this New Testament age, church age, 4,000 years of the Old Testament since Adam and Eve left the garden, that God has communicated through words personally. And yes, some were passed on, thankfully, in writing. Many of them were written out by hand for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. So let's not lose sight of that. And I say that because I, I think the danger is today because you can push a button on your phone, you can push a button on a tablet, you can uh, put even, you know, even in the days of just since radio. I just think that if we're not careful, we forget that. So I want to look at 1 Samuel, just put on my heart. I hope it'll be a blessing to somebody. If it was a blessing to one person, it'd be worth it to me. Uh, thankfully, I've been in situations, ministry situations, where I understood more than ever what Jesus said about leaving the 99 and finding the one. And so I pray it'll find the one. When you come to 1 Samuel in your Bible, and by the way, I don't know about you, I never tire of hearing things that I've already heard or known or whatever, because it's safe for me to review the good things. It's safe. It's how I stay safe, okay? So 1 Samuel is placed in your Bible, especially your English Bible, your King James Bible, which is the standard for all the other versions that came along English ones. Uh, you know, you get negative feedback when you say that. Someone said, you know, you don't believe anybody can get saved except believe in the King James Bible. I've never, ever, ever said that. I've debunked it before. Dear friend, you can get saved from a piece of paper that somebody wrote a verse or the gospel on. They're called tracts. Thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people have been saved reading tracts. You get saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, once you're saved, I'm thankful that when I got saved, the first thing somebody put in my hand because I did not have a Bible, never didn't know what a Bible actually was. I didn't. Didn't know what a great controversy there was between, say, evolutionists and creationists. I was not re reared in a Christian home, none of that, but I had in the, the strong strong belief in my heart that this whole earth could not be an accident. I'm, I want to be a veterinarian, so I'm studying chemistry and science and biology. The more I studied, the more I became convinced it couldn't be an accident. The table of elements alone, if you look at it on your chemistry chart, that can't be an accident. And the jockhead next to me, who's just an athlete, you know, the typical profile of the dense athlete beating his head against others, he could get the same exact results as I could if he just mixed the right same amounts of that chemical 
as it said in the book. Well, then there was nothing that nothing haphazard about that. Now, I said all that to say this. Your Bible's not haphazard. So when you open your Bible, you have first the book of Genesis. Those first five books are called the books of Moses. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy closes out with God taking Moses. The next book is called the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua is the new, the word Joshua, name Joshua is the New Testament equivalent of the New Testament word Jesus. And it's a great picture. Now, let me say this. We're going to do a lead up to the history of this because it really makes it so more, so much more interesting and fulfilling to read. And it has such a historical significance because of that. In your Bible, you've got a historical and a doctrinal and a practical, or I call devotional, okay? You've got those uses and applications of Scripture. Joshua is a historically accurate book. By the way, the accounts that we're given, that were passed down to us, were chosen by the Lord. You say, well, mankind touched it. Well, it either would have to come by some stranger thing. To me, the most amazing thing is that God used humans to do it. But he did do it. There's no problem. And we don't have time to go through a whole survey of, of your Bible to show you that, but you'll see it even as we go along how it matches together. So Joshua comes along, and when Joshua, the book of Joshua in your Bible, it describes what happens when they're going to enter what's called the promised land. It had been promised to them for hundreds of years, and God had initially used Abraham in your book of Genesis to walk and walk and walk and walk in every place that his foot tread on. God was circling it to make it like a boundary for Israel. The lesson is God had a place he wanted his people to settle, okay? And he didn't want them settling every other place they could. So a lesson is the power to do something is not the right to do it. They could have conquered anywhere they wanted or settled down. And, and as an example, when you read Genesis, every time old Jacob, who was third in line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the third one, every time he tried to settle down short of where God wanted him, he got himself in trouble. You'll remember that in the book of Exodus, they got out of Egypt and they wandered 40 years only because they wouldn't go in sooner. So when you get to Joshua, he's going to lead them into what's called the promised land. That's why it was called that. They enter it crossing the river Jordan supernaturally, and then they begin to apply and conquer. Now, it was bigger than them, the task was. The enemy was greater than them. They needed God at every step. So you have Joshua. Your Bible tells you that as long as Joshua and the men that were following him lived, everything was good. The next book in your Bible is Judges. If you want to jot it down, the theme of Judges is every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay? And that is the key to that book. You basically had a time when people just followed themselves and they went from one mistake to another, from one bad situation to another. Then you have a little parenthetical book called Ruth. Tremendous book in your Bible. We've done some stuff on the book of Ruth. You can look it up in the audio files. Ruth is a great picture. We then come to a book called 1 Samuel, the first book of Samuel, otherwise called, you'll find in the 
pages of most of your King James Bibles, the first book of Kings, by the way. Uh, I, I'm happy to answer anything people say. I really am. I'm happy to answer it. But there's no use trying to argue with somebody. Now, if someone's really looking, I can tell you so many cases where someone was looking, they got to comparing English Bibles, and they realized, you know, there's just something special that God did. You know, that's not a matter of worshiping that book, but it is a matter of this. And then I'm moving on. Being willing to accept God's hand and God's way of doing things. You see, the problem with our human nature is it wants to play with and meddle with and improve for its own sake. There is nothing in the Bible you can go pick up today, a King James Bible, you can't understand with that in a dictionary. And by the way, you know the other ones muddle it up because they're always trying to tell you what it should have said, would have said, could have said, better said in the so-called original manuscripts. And I don't want to go into that. I've been trained in all that. I've, I've had to collate them and translate them and all that. I can tell you this. There is nothing as strong. There's nothing as edifying. There's nothing as revealing as these old-time texts. Now, so we're in the first book of Samuel. It's happening about, by the way, remember when he warned Timothy about endless genealogies? You get time in your Bible, you get history in your Bible from genealogies. That's why it's B.C., A.D. and all that, and that's why they had to change that. Call it the Common Era, E-R-A, Common Era that time period, rather than you don't want it to be, uh, you don't want it to be 2022 AD, year of our Lord. You don't want to do that, okay? I'm not saying I don't. I meant the world, you know what I mean? The world, y'all looking funny at me. So <clears throat> here's the idea. We come to this book, and now God is going to start working in Israel to give them leadership after coming out of the time of Judges, where every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes, and it was a disaster. By the way, the God has done through all the years, it's called dispensations. We're moderate dispensationalists. We don't hyper-divide our Bible, but you can't miss that God tested mankind in different ways all through it to prove that mankind must have God and must be redeemed by God. In this time period, we're moving out of that which man is doing right in his own eyes, and God's trying to give them under some leadership, okay? So when we come to this passage, it's going to open in some ways to us that are pretty amazing. And 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, the way to remember them easily is, of course, Samuel, but it is the life of David primarily. Now you've got King Saul, okay? And Saul's a major player. Saul's a perfect type of Christ, so you put him in your memory bank. And if you're thinking of your books, your Bible, sometimes you can think of a book, each book as a sort of a neighborhood and then the chapters as, say, a street or a block and then the references as, as, as numbers on those streets. That's a way I picture it in my mind many times. So when I get to 1 Samuel, of course, I'm thinking of Samuel. In this early passage, we're going to think of Hannah, and Samuel, we're going to think of Eli and all them. But this is where you find the opening, the revelation of what God wants to do, of how Israel rejects God at first, his, his choice of leadership. 
And we see David and God preparing David. Second Samuel is going to be when David takes the throne, etc. When you get over to the third book of this series, which is called First Kings, then you're going to have this change of, of authority. You're going to have this change of leadership. And you're going to get into the time, which is, of course, the time of his son, David's son, King Solomon. So it's just an easy way to begin to remember stuff. And as you go through this, then you're going to see this history of Israel. Now it has a historical application. It lets you understand some of the things that happened later. You have historical in the sense of it does. It shows you how uh, really there is no new thing under the sun, as Solomon would write in the book of Ecclesiastes. You also have some doctrinal things. You have things about how God is dealing with Israel then. You have some things that are prophetic, for example. So some of it is prophetic. That is, it's going to happen later, and God's given us hints at it. Many things in your Bible are both. For example, you can have a verse that has a colon as a punctuation mark in it, and you can have two events that are at least 2,000 years apart. One of them could be the first advent. One of them could be the second advent. And so it's an amazing book you have called your Bible. Now, also as a way of introduction, understand that as we get into 1 Samuel and these characters, <coughs> we want to get what it truly says first. I'll give you three C's that you've heard before from me. One is clear teaching. We will spend the vast majority of our time on clear teaching. We will spend some time giving you some considerations, things that might be so. And then there are conjectures, things that, you know, if it is that, it's pretty wild and amazing, but it's a conjecture. Now, if we don't make some kind, now, let's say someone's teaching and preaching and they don't use those three exact words, that's no biggie, but those three principles should be practiced. When you're Teaching something that is so, it should be clear teaching. Not just clear to you, dear friend. Not just clear to some book you, you listen to or some audio file you listen to or some video you watched. It should be clear teaching from the Bible. And then there are some things that are consideration. You know, this might be so. And, and honestly, they probably are about 80% probability, 85%. I wouldn't teach it as a consideration unless it was, you know, 80, 80 to 85%, 90%. But then there are some things that are conjectures, like wouldn't it be something if? But we should qualify those things and quantify those things for our listeners. And if you're studying your Bible and you're grabbing it from a lot of different sources, which is fine, I get that. Be careful that you don't grab onto the conjectures because they're out there and you really can't prove them, but you also can't disprove them. And they seem a bit fantastic and maybe somewhat of a conspiracy type thing. Please, don't grab those for yourself, but don't put others under the influence of that. Please. You want to stick with clear teaching. It's stuff Paul would call in the New Testament sound doctrine. And with that, sound application. I know sometimes fellows get to making applications that I just, I, I marvel, how did they get that? Not as in how did they get this great light, how did they get to that point? I think a lot of it is that heresy is a work of the flesh in Galatians chapter five. So when we teach something that is a conjecture, 
and it comes across as if it's an absolute clear teaching, that isn't, that isn't just so. So a lot of times it's just self gets involved. Uh, I've seen people being, you know, almost to the point of rabidness when it comes to their point of view, or even nowadays, uh, I uh, heard these two guys getting into it about uh, like the ESV, NIV, all that kind of stuff. Uh, New King James. They were going back and forth. Each of them was convinced that theirs was it. And someone says, oh, you King James people. Well, these guys put us, they made us look like compromisers. And then you've got those that honestly don't believe you can get it unless you're getting it out of your Greek New Testament. So when you're doing that, make sure you're not teaching a conjecture when you have a clear teaching to teach. And I'd really encourage you as a student of the word not to get sidetracked that way. So when we get into 1 Samuel, you've got these books we've been talking about, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, the five books of Moses. Then you've got Joshua. Then you've got Judges and you've got Ruth. Now this book comes. <clears throat> I think that a lot of times people perhaps neglect these history books when they just feel like it's just stories. But, oh, these things are so full of light. When you base them upon, sit them beside the clear teachings of the New Testament, especially when you get into Romans and 1st, 2nd Corinthians, the Pauline epistles. Now, we adhere to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 6. So we don't do that, but what we don't do is base our teaching today, our doctrine, our clear teaching, upon passages where Jesus Christ was obviously pointing them to something future on the other side of the church age. They were parenthetical, you might say. In other words, the church age is like a parenthesis and these things are going to happen then. So that just comes down to reading your Bible and look at it. Look, I, I said the other day when I was preaching, I said, look, uh, when I came to Christ, I was already out of high school and stuff. I had been studying, wanted to be a veterinarian, all that kind of thing. I had read voraciously as a young person growing up, never touched a Bible, didn't know it, what a Bible was, wasn't one in our home that I knew of. And I was in a serious, vicious car accident, <clears throat> should have killed me. Surprised it didn't. Had very severe head injuries and body injuries. And while I was recuperating, the only thing that survived that crash was a few months before that, someone had given me a, a King James New Testament Psalms, the vest pocket, like we used to call Soul Winner's thing. They'll fit in your suit coat pocket. And that was about the only thing that survived that crash. And I read it and I read it. But it was the first time I'd ever really read it through. And as I was reading it through, I got to be honest, I read Matthew, then I started reading Mark. Now, admittedly, I didn't hardly even know my name then. So I was trying to absorb into my mind some things that would probably help it, and that was, of course, the words of God. But I got to Mark, and I was like, I started reading, I said, this is familiar, but I don't understand. I didn't know what synoptic gospels were. I didn't know there was four accounts of the life of, and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ the first time. I didn't know that. So I read Mark. Then I read Luke. I was like, man, my head's spinning. Then I read John. Now I got to tell you this. When I got to the Gospel of John and read it, honestly, it made so much more sense once I read John. Now you know from studying your Bible that Matthew presents 
Jesus Christ as king. Mark presents him as a servant. Luke presents him as the son of man. But the thing you could get clearly from the Gospel of John was he presented him as the son of God. That part I'd already met and understood. So then as I went back and read it through, I read it through many times, probably 15 times, I don't know, in a very short period of time. And I'd read the whole New Testament, that's what I'd read. But as I'd read those gospel accounts at first, I was like, oh my goodness. And then it started coming clear. Now, I didn't of my own say, oh, you know, Matthew's about the king and Mark is about a servant. But when I heard somebody teach that, I said, yep, that matches it. You know what else reading that did for me? And I didn't know it at the time because like I said, I was just trying to absorb anything that would give me a resemblance of brain order. It also gave me a way of thinking that people couldn't shake later and couldn't, you know, cause me to doubt the word of God. I'd hear something I'd say, but I don't think it says it that way. And I'd go back and I'd find it and read it. And many of those things I'm sure were embedded in my mind during that recovery time. That was back in 1974 time. So I'm saying to you that the word of God and doing what we're doing here in this passage and the things you take in, they have such an effect upon you. And I cannot encourage you enough to get into your Bible and read it. When you have a chance, you know, read ahead. Read like we're going to be in 1 Samuel, next session in chapter 1. Read chapter 1 or 2. Read the whole book. These history books is what I'm trying to tell you are easy to read. They're history and they're narrative and they're interesting. They will have great application once you learn this and you learn some of your New Testament. Now, if you're an old seasoned old Christian, I hope you haven't gotten old above that and you've got to have some fantastic teaching. I hope you understand that it's the bread and the water and the honey of the word that keeps us alive. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. All right, so next session, we're going to get into First uh, Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to begin to understand why God chose. And again, in the meantime, review a little bit in your mind. Review that God has chosen these passages, these words, these orders, things. And he, we have this amazing, look, you can hold it. You, I've, I've got a, a full Bible that goes in my backpack. I take everywhere I go, throw my backpack in the car when I go, throw it in the truck, and it goes everywhere. I've worn many of them out. I might have a, 10-minute, 15-minute downtime during the day. You pull that thing out and read through it. You say, well, I've got it on my phone. I know, I know. But I hate to tell you, there's nothing like flipping through your Bible, writing something in the margin, and then being able to find it and flip here and flip there and flip there. You can't do that. I've got technology. I'm using technology right now. We're recording. I know how to use it on my, on my computer. I know, how, I know how to do all that. But there ain't nothing ever has. And praise God, I've lived on both sides of this technology revolution. I mean, I remember when the DOS computers came out. You know, you could actually have one in your office or at home. And it was just, you know, the text screen and DOS and instructions. I remember all that. I just know this. I am so happy I lived on both sides of that. Because I know that if everything just blows up and everything shuts down, I've got me something in my hand. And I've got several copies of it that I've got marked up and I can go find stuff and I can pick that thing up. I can stick it in my back pocket and take it with me. I take it out if I go 
fishing or whatever I do, it's there with me. You know why? Because you can't beat it. I mean, man, don't neglect the printed book that God gave you. And don't end up being caught out where you don't read it enough that the Holy Spirit will remind you where verses are. Praise God for concordances. Amen. But many, 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 many a Christian, they don't even hardly carry a Bible to church anymore. Well, I hate to tell you, but I've been on both sides of it, and I can promise you, and I know how to use technology, I can promise you, this book right here, this book you can hold in your hand, you can take with you anywhere. If you get soaking wet, you can still dry it out. You can take it to the jungles of the earth. You can take it to the ends of the earth. And you've got the words of God in your hand. All right, well, we'll begin 1 Samuel chapter 1 next session. God be with you.